You know, this past Friday was Veterans Day, and it's a time that we should really take serious. A lot of people think of Veterans Day and think of cookouts and weekend getaways, but this is a holiday that, that's been around a while, and it's, and it's something that's very important to me personally because I, I come from a military family, and I was military, and uh, so I, I want to take a second to recognize all of our veterans. So if you have served in the armed forces at any time in your life, would you do me a favor and would you please stand up? Yes, I'm going to embarrass you for a minute, so please stand up. <laughs> stay standing. That's right. Well, stay standing. Stay standing. I, I wasn't done. Come on, guys. Um, if your spouses are with you, will you also stand up? That means you, Jan. Okay. One thing I want to point out is it, it takes a lot of these brave men and women to go and serve. But it also takes a lot from the spouses. Um, they, you know, they're gone, they're in combat, there's worry, there's all these things. So I want to not only take a minute to recognize the men and women that have served, but also their spouses. So if we can get a round of applause for them too. Okay, now, now I'm done. I, I was thinking of something else, but I, I won't embarrass you. So thank you, uh, seriously, thank you all for serving. Because you know what, if it wasn't for you guys serving and defending against in World War II and Vietnam and, and Iraq, all these different conflicts, who knows what our world would be like. And it's because of the bravery of these men and women that, that are willing to step up and say, you know what, not, I, not on my watch. This isn't going to happen while I'm alive. And they go out and they volunteer to serve. And, and sometimes, like it says, what was it, uh, uh, everybody gave some and some gave it all. And because of that, I want to honor them today. So thank you all for serving, and I hope if you have friends and family that have served, I hope you took the time out to recognize them. Um, I, now, this video I, I showed was because, obviously, it's because of Veterans Day, and, and as I preach, as I, as I talk today, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be preaching out of the scriptures, but I want you to also remember the men and women, uh, as I go through this message, the men and women that have served, and, and they've served courageously. You know, I share this vid video as a segue into something else. I share this video as a segue because as, as, as important as it is and, uh, to honor and respect the soldiers and the, and the service people uh, that, that serve this, this great country, there's a greater calling, a, a service that God has called all of us to do. And we're all, every single one of us in this room is called to be a soldier for Christ. If you take a look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it'll be up on the screen. It says, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So as we, as we talk about Veterans Day or we, we celebrate this time and, and we see in Scripture, it talks about, you know, sharing the suffering as a good soldier we can learn a few things about this. We can learn actually three things we're going to point out in this, in this uh, message today. And, and there's three truths that, that about the Christian life and how to have really a successful Christian life, how to really embrace it to where, you know, and, and have a wonderful Christian life. And, and the first one is this, being a soldier for Christ involves hardships. That's a reality. So notice in the beginning it says suffering, right? It doesn't say, you know, uh, be, have, a, uh, have a nice, be a nice soldier and, I don't know, something really easy. Be a cook or something. No, it says suffer. See, there's a suffering involved. 
See, being a soldier during wartime is no fun. Ask any soldier that's been overseas. It is no fun. There's a lot of things that go on, a lot of, a lot of uh, 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 suffering that goes on in this. Soldiers often go without uh, modern amenities. They experience long separations from their loved ones. So I know some of you have had, you know, your spouses. You don't see your spouses for six months, eight months. I was Navy. You know, our, uh, a lot of my friends, would go, or we would go out to sea for six months. And, and during the first Iraq war, we would get out eight months was normal. And I was on an amphibious assault ship, which means I had 1,200 Marines on board. We had Marines, they don't stop. I mean, we don't just say, oh, six months is up, we've got to go. No, if the Marines are out, then we're out, and we stay there. And, and, and they don't, there's a lot of separation, a lot of hardships that go on in the military. And they, and they face some unimaginable things, things that we don't, we don't we, you know, we, we think that we can comprehend by watching a movie or, or, or hearing an interview, but, but unless you're there witnessing it, you will never really understand what they go through. The sacrifice and sweat are common commodities in a soldier's life. Not including uh, a soldier's hardships when they get wounded or, or even they, they die from this. I mean, just if they survive it, they go through such a difficulty. The whole hardships of being a soldier is incomprehensible to the average civilian. There's things that you guys as soldiers can understand that there's no way, even though I was in the military, there's no way I can comprehend this. I was safe on a ship. Spouses. As, even though you were on the front lines with your husbands or, or wives and, and you heard the stories and you, you see what it does to them, you spouses still can't quite comprehend what they went through. They still can't quite because of, of the, the experience. There's some things you just have to experience to fully understand. Some people join the military for a variety of reasons. Some of them uh, join the military to, to get out of, of situations they're in. They, they think, you know, you know what, life kind of sucks right now, and, and if I join the military, maybe I can get out of the situation. And they, and they go down to the recruiter, and they think, okay, you know what, if I can get out of the ghetto, or, or I can get out of debt, or maybe life is just boring in a small town, so I'm going to join the military. And I'm going to go see the, the world and, and have an exciting life. So what they do is they run down to the recruiter's office, and the recruiter sits there and tells them, and, and I remember my recruiter, and, and, and he told me all kinds of wonderful stories about the military. And he tells you, you know, all these great things, a st- uh, you know, a steady paycheck, and he tells you that, that you won't be laid off, depending on who's the president. You know, he, you, you'll have pride wearing this uniform. You can move up the ranks, you know, the sky's the limit. You can go anywhere. You can become an officer if you want. Whatever it is, they tell you all these wonderful things. They tell you about the educational opportunities and you can see the world and, and, and the benefits of when you get out and, and the GI Bill and the college funds and, uh, and, and the, uh, the, the get a home loan really easy and all these different benefits of being a veteran. And it's only after they join and they get in they realize, whoa, wait a minute here. This isn't quite what he said. He sold me good because things aren't quite the same. This is not what I expected. The reality of these harsh uh, situations that they face, these hardships come to mind. And the first is right at basic training. They get into the basic training and it's hard work. You have to adjust and you have to not only you know, run miles. And, and I remember I hated running. I was in football and I hated running then and I hated running in boot camp. But I had to run three or four miles to get ready for the test at the end of boot camp. And I hated that. And you have to run and there's these hardships. You have to adjust to being told what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. 
And you're separated from your loved ones for the first time maybe in your life. And, and, and there's all changes and you're, you're faced with, with danger for the first time. And in that same situation, in that same scenario, that same example is when we first come to Christ. When we first come to Christ, a lot of times we have this driving force. Something has happened in my life that has driven me to come to Christ. Something has happened where maybe I, I lost a loved one or, or I'm suffering in some way and it motivates us to come to Christ. And we say, you know what, I, I, life will be better when I do this. And God convicts you and you come to Christ because of it. And, you, and, it, and, and you're called out for this deep desire because of guilt or sorrow or, or something. So we rush to him to find peace and joy and forgiveness and, and wholeness and purpose with little knowledge or regard of what the future holds. We rush out to see Christ. And when, when the newness of the Christian life wears off, things start changing. It's not like what the recruiter said. It's not like the beginning there. And, and it starts to wear off. We start dealing with this, this calling that God says to suffer for him. We think, wait a minute here, I came to Christ for peace and love and joy and all these things, and now I have to suffer? And we see the Scripture verses, suffer like a good soldier? And wait a second, that's a little different than, that's a little different than what I thought this Christian life would be. And we, we stand and we start suffering and we realize that we're, we're fighting against the battle against Satan and, and, and his army. And, and we, we have to fight every day against our own fleshly nature, our desire to sin, our natural desire. We, we, we stay, and if we stay the course and not go AWOL, then our bosses might be jerks and we might face us, uh, a marriages fail and we might have these things that come across. Our, our children might rebel against us. Or to persevere when pain and sickness becomes our constant companions. And sometimes this happens. As Paul says to each of us, endure hardships as a soldier, as a good soldier in Christ. He tells us to endure the pain of rejection from those who mock us. For Jesus was rejected and mocked. He tells us to in, in, uh, endure against the temptations of our flesh and our world because they're weak and it gives ground, it gives the devil a foothold. It tell, he tells us to endure the unreasonable supervisor and, and serve him as if he was Jesus Christ himself. That's a hard one for me. That was a hard one when I was in the business world to treat my boss, even if he was a jerk, like he was Jesus himself, to be that kind of servant. He tells us to endure sickness and pain and sorrow and all tribulations, big and small, that attend to life because we're not promised that we'd be excluded from this normal trials of life. We're not promised that, that things are always going to work out the way we expect. For we're not promised this exemption. exemption. Rather, we're promised that the Lord will be with us and teach us and help us when we go through those things. See, we won't be exempt from it, but when we do face it, he will be there for us. That's what we are promised. Somebody sold you a bill of goods. If you think Jesus promises an easy life. It, the Christian life is not an easy life. It is not, uh, you know, tell that to Job and when he lost his family and wealth and his health and literally everything. The Christian life is not easy. Tell that to Stephen, who was the first martyr, who was stoned to death. Rocks, not, not marijuana, rocks, okay? He was, he took, somebody took rocks at him, chased him out, and threw rocks at him until he died. 
Tell that to Paul and all the things that he went through. Take a look at 2 Corinthians. It'll be up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 28. This is what happened to Paul. He gives an example here. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Okay, that 40 lashes less one is what Christ did when, when he was, uh, right before he was crucified and he was beaten. That's the 40 lashes he's referring to. He did, had that five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. All of that he went through. And, and as we know, Paul is the one of the great apostles. I mean, when we look at how much he wrote of the New Testament. So when we think of Paul, we think of this mighty man. And, and look at what he went through. Look at the things he went through. And on top of that, that very last verse, it says, and then not only all those things happen, but on top of that, I have anxiety for the churches because I want the churches to come to Christ and grow in the grace and knowledge of, of Jesus. So not only did he go through those things, but the whole time he's worried about the churches. See, some preachers preach about a prosperity gospel. Uh, the, you know, you see them on TV. If you send me in $100, I'll give you this prayer cloth and you can... You can you know, your life will be blessed beyond means. And they give these testimonies of, of, of giving money and how much money they got back from it. And that is not even close to what the Christian life is about. They say, you know, this, this, the Christian life is a bed of roses. And, and, if, and if some suffering is happening to you, they say that it's because of sin in your life. Now, sin can cause suffering, don't get me wrong. But a lot of times they'll blame you for the suffering and they blame you and they say, if you would just stop suffering, your life would be great like this, like mine. Look at my Rolex, look at my Bentley. That's not what the Christian life, that's, that's, that's not what the Christian life is about. They say that you can get whatever you want from life through Christ and pretty much he's a genie in the bottle. And if you pray hard enough, I know of a pastor who for years preached this gospel and his wife got cancer. And, his, and so he had a choice here. Do I, do I rebuke my wife or do I rebuke what I've been teaching? Because according to him, his wife is suffering because of the sin and she doesn't have enough faith to heal her. And so you know what he ended up doing? He ended up chastising her in public and said, you know what? You don't have enough faith, Miss Wife. And he chastised her right there. That is not what the Christian life is about. He's not a genie to make you happy. It's like a recruiter who remembers to, uh, remembers to tell you all the good things about the military, but forgets to tell you about the, the other things that convenient, you know, the, the other things that come along. He conveniently leaves out the danger, the conditioning, the long hours, and the fact that the army and the military basically owns you. They forget to leave out part of that. They forget to leave out those, those key things. Folks, God has one overarching purpose in your life. 
one thing, one overarching thing in your, in your life to do in your life, and that is to make you holy. I want you to listen very carefully. What I'm, it's going to be up on the screen, but I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Jesus is more concerned about your holiness than he is about your happiness. He will sacrifice your happiness to achieve your holiness if he has to. Which is, I want to hear this again. Jesus is more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. And he will sacrifice your happiness to achieve your holiness if he has to. See, if you're facing a, a tough time and you bail out, guess what? You might get some temporary relief. If you go AWOL, you might get some temporary relief for that moment. But in the long run, you'll suffer. See, you'll suffer the same thing over again. You see, God doesn't let his kids go. If you're a child of God, he will not let you go. He will put you in situations to bring you back. See, he, Jesus promises, I will never leave or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a comfort in times of trial and tribulation. But it's also protection against times, against sin and rebellion. People mistake, uh, misunderstand that, that doctrine of eternal security. What that means, what the doctrine of eternal security basically says is, is that once you're saved, you're always saved. Once, you're, once you've made that commitment to Christ, you will always be sealed by eternity. And how that comes from is the sealing of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's like the old kings with the ring, and he puts a seal on it. And he says, you know what? You're mine. I own you, and you can't do anything about it now. And, and if you try to leave, you know what? I'm going to do something about that. See, a lot of times people think that, that eternal security means I can do whatever I want. I can just walk around. I can sin any way I want. And, I, and you know what? I'm saved and secure, so I can, I can just live the way I want. But you know what? The beautiful doctrine of eternal security is that the believer, that if you are truly born again, no matter what you do, God never stops taking you. No, he'll never stop working in your heart. He'll never stop bringing pain to you if, you if that's what you need to bring you back to him. He never stops pulling you back into his domain, and he never, ever, ever, ever gives up on you. See, if you go AWOL on God, I got news for you. He won't accept your resignation. He won't do it. He will do everything in his power to get you back. He'll send his MPs out to track you down and bring you back. And it might have to be in shackles. So don't go away, AWOL. Don't jump ship. Do not leave. Just keep going. Endure the hardness. Endure the hard times. Endure the rejection. Endure the, the travails. Why? Because you're a soldier of Christ. You are a soldier of Christ. Keep pushing forward. What happens when a soldier retreats against orders? They get in a lot of trouble. You keep pushing forward. That's the first one. The second one is a soldier of Christ must never forget that he's engaged in warfare. Never forget that he's engaged in warfare. A soldier prepares all the time for warfare. They never forget that they can be called to battle any moment. That's why they train and train and train. Now in verse 4 it says, No soldier gets entangled or engaged in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Paul makes it clear that we're in war. There's a, a, a Christian woman who called her son out to Iraq, and, and he's out in Iraq, and he's, uh, he's, in, uh, you know, he's in 
doing whatever he's doing, a soldier. And so his mom calls him, he gets this weekend visit or weekend phone call, and he's talking to her, and she goes, oh, son, so, so are they giving you Sundays off? You know, she's a good Christian woman. Do you get Sundays off? He goes, mom, no, no. I have to work every day. And she's, she's astonished. And she goes, why can't you get Sundays off? He goes, mom, it's war. We can't. See, it comes to a surprise to many people that the Bible is flooded with imagery, imagery of the Christian life as one in warfare. See, in the battles of the Old Testament and the battles of the promised land is a similar in the New Testament, the battles we face for the promised land that we will inherit, which is the kingdom of heaven. The term the Bible uses for angels and demons are of hosts. We use that word host, and, it, and so uh, it's actually a military term. It's a military term of, for great armies of soldiers with commanders and military structure of authority. One of the names of God in the Old Testament is the Lord of hosts. And he's saying he's the commander-in-chief of all the angels. He is the king. He is the boss. And, then, and so he's the Lord of hosts, meaning I am, you know, he is the, the king of all of it. And we find this, the Lord of hosts, 261 times in the New Testament. And basically it says, God is Lord of the armies. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12, Paul commands us to put on the whole armor of God. Some of you might know that verse. Put on the whole armor of God. Take a look at what he says. He, he, he says this, uh, describe a spiritual armor God gives us to win the battle. So here's the more military terms. He said, goes on to explain that we must put on the armor. In verse 12, it says, For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. It's a spiritual battle that we're preparing for. He goes on in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6, he says, for though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way. Since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for our uh, de demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is rising up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive by obey, to obey Christ. And we are ready to punish any obedient or disobedience once your obedience has been confirmed. See, at the end of Paul's life, he goes on in, in Timothy chapter 4, he says, I have fought the good fight. See, out of all those things that he did, he was talking about that there's a war going on and there's a battle over our minds, over our, our, our lives. He's, there's a battle. If you're not a Christian, there's a battle over your soul. If you are a Christian, there's a battle over making you less effective. He's trying, uh, they're trying to keep you from serving God. There's a battle that goes on. And Paul says, you know what? I have fought the good fight. These are all references to the military. I can go on and on, but it suffice to prove this point, that we have a real enemy. And in this world, we, uh, we have real weapons and a real plan. On the outside, this world is aligned with Satan and his bidding. On the inside, we fight our, uh, our, our sinful nature. So on the outside, we deal with, with lying, cheating, just all these different, look at the riots going on right now, all these things going on. We deal with that on the outside. But on the inside, we also struggle with, with sin and, and, and struggle with our own inadequacies 
And we have this nature inside. So we battle this out, and there's a constant battle going on in our lives. See, the war on the Christian cause is real. Every day we battle against pride, anger, selfishness, envy, deceit, lust, gluttony, materialism, hypocrisy, bitterness. Never forget that we're in a war. It's a real battle. It's a real war. Never forget, always be preparing and fight the good fight. Never give up. And you know, the great thing is, we have the Lord of hosts that is on our side, and he will win the battle in the end. So the third thing, what we can learn from this, is I want you to see that a soldier of Christ watches his engagements, the affairs that he has. He watches what he does. The, the verse 4 says, uh, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Sometimes soldiers will complain about being in the military. They'll complain that the army owns us. And they'll complain about this. They'll say, oh, you know what, they just tell me what to do, and they'll gripe and moan. I'm sure if you've been in the military, you know what I'm talking about. You always have that one guy that's always complaining about it. Sometimes they like to be more involved in other things, but the mission of the military is all-consuming. When you're full-time active duty, your life is military. You'd like to think that family and all these other things are, are central, but really, if you get called, you're going. If you get that phone call, we're shipping out next week, you're going. You don't have a choice. So they, they, they have a, to limit their engagements with non-military life. So when you're in the military, you know, I think of like Navy SEALs go on these missions like very last minute, right? Or, or these, these special forces guys. What they'll do is they'll have these, these opportunities where they'll be called and they have to drop everything and literally they only have a day or two to get ready. And I don't know if it goes even faster than that, but I do know it goes really fast. And they have to drop everything and go. See, so when they're living their life, they try to live their life the best they can, but there's also limits, you know. They can't sit there and go on a, on a cruise or, or they have to really watch what they do because of their jobs, their careers, and so they have to be careful what they do in their civilian life. But guess what? Our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, does own us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, you are bought at a price, so glorify God in your body. You are bought at a price. He does own us. Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he owns you. Paul warns us not to get entangled in the affairs of this life. He warns us that, that, you know, this life that we're living now is not the primary most important thing. What's important is your relationship with Christ. See, really, if you think about it, outside of serving Jesus, what more is there really in life? Because that when we die and we go to heaven, we're going to be spending there for eternity. So in this world, really, what's, what's really more important than serving Jesus himself? See, there's nothing inherently wrong with with sports and television and, and, uh, and, and material things. I mean, none of that inherently is, is, is problematic. But if you're so entangled in those things, if you're so wrapped up in those things that you don't have time to serve Jesus where he's calling you, if you have so, you're wrapped up in all these outside things so much that you can't serve your Lord himself, then they become idols in your life. They become idols in you. You, you, you start worshiping those things instead of Jesus. You, don't, you start worshiping my time, 
watching football than serving him some way. See, the first commandment is, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. You should not have any other gods before me. Now, as a soldier, or if you're a soldier, your, 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 your responsibility is to follow the commander-in-chief, right? Right, Matt? If you're a soldier, if your commander-in-chief tells you to go somewhere, you can't say no, right? That's the way the military is. When, when I was in the Navy, our ship, we tried to get down to Australia because that's the big port where everybody likes to go. And my, the, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, whoever, CNO, Chief of Naval Operations, said, no, you guys got to go to Hawaii and, and, and go to the Persian Gulf. So we weren't able to go. Did we say, no, we're going to go there anyway? No. We went. Commander-in-Chief tells you what to do. And you have to do it. You, you need to do it. Some people would rather skip a church service and go to a ball game. And they would do that in a heartbeat. They'd gladly sacrifice a Sunday night service because of a favorite TV show or, or a Wednesday night because of something going on. They rarely make, or they, they make taking a nap on Sunday more important than coming to church. They make all these other things more important. They don't think twice about keeping the money um, instead of giving it to the needy because they want to buy something. They have no problem skipping quiet time instead of spending time in the Word of God. And, 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 and they'll go watch a show or, or go do something else. Go work in the garage. No wonder people are losing this battle in the Christian life. No wonder believers today are anemic and defeated. There's a war going on and so many of us have gone AWOL. We have just backed away. Said, you know what? I'm going to keep doing what I like to do and what I want to do. And we're going to ignore the commander-in-chief. God says to not put anything before, any other idols before me, but yet we do that. We, we, we put a ball game in front of church. And it's not just church. I'm talking about serving God. When I say church, I'm talking about serving God. We put all these other things in front of it. And no wonder the church itself is losing its force. Because we're not following Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I, I, appeal to you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Another, that's the English version, the English Standard Bible version. I want you to hear it in the New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a, a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will, be, he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I loved how that, how that sounds, so different. I plead with you to give your bodies as living sacrifices. See, we're soldiers for Christ. And a soldier shouldn't be sitting on the sidelines. A soldier should be preparing for battle or being engaged in battle. We should be training others. We should be working on the battle plan. We're going to watch a video of some soldiers, some real soldiers, real vets. And I want you to hear what they have to say about this. Take a look. I was excited. I volunteered to go into the military. I was 
I was gun ho 19-year-old kid, wanted to serve my country. What surprised me the most is the resilience of our guys, the tenacity, the, 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 the guts that uh, these young kids, under some horrible conditions, I was always amazed at how we just uh, kept trucking along and doing what we knew we had to do. God had been so great to me and got me through some, some severe combat things. I mean, rockets flying over you and bullets and things of that nature. You know, a lot of my family friends, they didn't come back. The agreement that we made with the NATO alliance is that uh, we're not bringing any Bibles, any crucifixes, anything like that. We can't bring anything of religious uh, Christianity uh, into Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. He said, but I'm going to allow you to bring your Bible because I know your, your background and I, I feel you're sincere. So we started having church services. Then the next week we had a service and then another service and another service. And a couple of days before the ground war, I was having a service at the Kuwait border and we had 2,500 people at this service. They said it's the largest Christian service recorded in the history of Saudi Arabia. We had Saudis, Kuwaitis, different countries were in the service. They showed it on CNN. My dad saw me on TV. We as citizens need to understand that there have seen things and witnessed things that no human being ever cares to see or witness again. I had one who was apologizing to me for being around. When uh, a mortar round exploded, and he's apologizing to me, and uh, He's saying, I'm sorry, sir. I'll, uh, I'll do better next time. When I get better, I'll come back. I'll, I'll make you proud. And I told him, I, uh, I am proud. And he died just minutes later. Guys, these guys really are our heroes. I have a lot of. Uh, when I was in the Navy, I was uh, just a regular sailor. Um, I had a nice cushy job, and then I got a little trouble. Um, I not nothing too big, but uh, so my to teach me a lesson, they sent me down to work with the Marines, and so I'm like, great, you know, I'm a sailor, and I'm thinking, great, I got to go work with a bunch of jarheads, you know, that's what I thought. So I walked down there in the, with the Marines, and, and I'll tell you, I learned a whole new respect for them. We had 1,200 Marines on board. We had Force Recon. We had some recon teams. Force Recon is like the Marine Corps Special Forces. 
you know, we had those guys. We had, a bunch, uh, you know, those Zodiac rafts. You know, we had a team for those. I mean, we had a lot of cool stuff down there. And, uh, and I saw these guys. Um, <coughs> I saw these guys working together as a, as a team, as a unit. And I remember seeing this E3, which is, like, really low on the totem pole, telling E1 to do something. And he's like, yes, I forget what it was, corporal or something. He goes, yes, corporal. And he did it. And now in, in the Navy, an E3 tells an E1 to do something. We're like, you're the same as me. But in the Marine Corps, it was, you, you listen to your chain of command. And I just love these guys. I really do. The Marines, sorry if there's any Army guys, but the Marines are awesome. I, I love what I saw in there and those experiences I had. And I'm sure the Army is very similar. But, uh, but you know what? These guys are our heroes. They stand up and fight the good fight. And we as Christians, we're called to be that good soldier. We're called to be fighters. We're called to fight for good. We're called to fight for righteousness. We're, we're called to fight for this, for God. We're called to do that. So what kind of soldiers are we going to be? We have to ask ourselves, what, what kind of, are we going to be soldiers like this? Or are we going to be soldiers that sit in the pews and we don't do anything? What kind of soldiers are we going to be? Totally committed, sacrificial, holy-seeking service is the only acceptable service to our commander-in-chief. Will you become a true, faithful soldier of Christ today? In your bulletins, you'll see a little brown sheet somewhere. There's two of them. Oh, I don't have one in this one. Oh, yeah, I do. Some might be white, but you see that in there? Let's read it together. And I know it's a little long, but I think it's worth it. Okay? I am a soldier, a prayer warrior, in the army of my God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Bible is my code of conduct. (coughs) Faith, prayer, and the word are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I am a volunteer in his army, and I am enlisted for eternity. I will either retire in his army at the rapture or die in his army. But I am faithful, capable, and dependable. If my God needs me, I am there. I am not a baby. I do not need to be pampered, petted, or primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. No one has to call me, remind me, or write me, visit me, entice me, or lure me. I am not a wimp. I am, a, I am in place saluting my king. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and saluting my king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, candy, or give me handouts. I am committed. I do not need to be coddled, cradled, cared for, or catered to. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. When Jesus called me into his army, I had nothing. And if I end with nothing, I will still have come out even. I I will win. (coughs) My God will supply all my needs, and I am more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. I can, all, I can do all things through Christ. Devils cannot defeat me. People cannot delusion, cannot delusion me. 
I have to take this sip of water. Hold it. <coughs> I tried to get through it all. <coughs> Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. Even death cannot destroy me. When my, for when my commander calls me from this battlefield, <coughs> he will promote me to a captain and then bring me back to the rule this world with him. I will not give up. I will not turn around. I am a soldier, a prayer warrior, and the army of God, and I am marching and claiming victory. Amen. Will you become a soldier for Christ? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the men and women who have... (coughs) 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 Thank you so much, Lord, for the men and women who have sacrificed as as soldiers and and sailors and military personnel in our country because with them, we have freedom in this country. And they protect our freedom. and And because of that, we have the right to preach this today. And we have the right and the ability to be soldiers for Christ. And we want to we use these guys, these men and women, as our examples, and the people of the Bible as examples of what it means to be a true soldier, a good soldier, fighting for your cause. Father God, I ask you to touch each and every one of us and, and ask the Holy Spirit to convict us and help us become that soldier. Help us live that life out, Lord. And not be afraid of the battle in front of us. And if we are afraid, we know that you will be there with us to go forward, to fight the good fight. And so we ask you, Lord, to to work in our lives so we are able to do that. Because we only want to serve you as our commander-in-chief, as our Lord, as our God. And nothing else is important in life other than serving you. Everything else should fall by the wayside in comparison to serving you. I know that sounds like a lot, Lord. And it's, it can kind of be overwhelming to think, I'm going to give 100% of my life to you, but that's what you asked for. And that's what we want. We want to serve you, Lord. So we ask you to continue to help us do that. Help us be good soldiers. <coughs> we love you, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.